Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. My next guest on your cron is Claire Bloomfield. Claire is an animal communicator and certified animal energy healing practitioner. She offers a compassionate and insightful service for people and the animals in their life to help them create a better bond together, resolve behavior issues, or help them get back to their optimal health using a variety of energy-based therapies and animal communication. Claire has an affinity with animals all her life and has dedicated the last 20 years to working with them first as a veterinary nurse and cattery manager where she was in charge of 120 cats, then later as an energy healer and animal communicator. Claire is a qualified animal energy healing practitioner and uses modalities such as EFT, the emotion code, Reiki, and crystal healing to help animals return to their natural state of well-being and health. Claire offers animal communication consultations to give animals a voice and allow them and their carers to live together in harmony and mutual understanding. She is a Reiki master and Kundalini Reiki master. As an animal communication teacher, Claire teaches others to do what she does, and it is her goal to bring awareness to the depth of intelligence and feelings that animals have and to help people all over the world improve their relationships with their animal family. Claire is speaking to us today from the Canary Islands. Claire, welcome to your crime. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you, Scott. Oh, it's my pleasure. Where is a good place to begin your extraordinary story? Uh, (laughs) Well, I've I've been working with animals for the last 20 years. Um, I started when I was 16 as a, as a veterinary nurse. Um, I've always found myself going back to working with animals. Um, I then went on to work as a cattery manager, actually, when I moved to the Canary Islands. And I was in charge of 120 cats, which was <laughs> quite a lot. Um, but... I saw so many cats that have been neglected and abused because here in Spain sometimes they don't have the best attitude to animals and that was where I started thinking maybe I can help them more if I gave them healing or if there was a way to connect with them and understand what they needed and that was when I started to look into animal communication Um, but it wasn't until my cat Iggy died five years ago, that that really gave me the push to study to become a a professional animal communicator. Hmm. And to be with 120 cats, to be in charge of 120 cats, what was that experience like on a day-to-day basis? How how long did you do that? 
How long? I did it? that for yeah. six years. Wow. It was uh, it was very hard work to be honest because it was for a charity here in Spain, um, and we actually had space uh, capacity for sixty cats. So we were at double capacity and it got to the point where, you know, we were sort of having to, we've got a spare space there that we can bring in more cats. And of course, um, trying to keep 120 cats happy in such a small space, it really took a lot to, okay, this one like this, but he doesn't want to go over there with that one. This one needs to be separate from other cats. This one's very nervous people. It was sort of like a constant <laughs> juggling act to keep everybody happy, but it was a wonderful experience. How did, if you had one that didn't like being with another one, how, with limited space already, how did you separate them? I had actually, um, it used to be my, my office, but I, I converted it into um, one of the cat rooms where that was where I spent a lot of my time. If I ever had a problem cat, I would bring that cat into the office with me and I would then work with that cat. Uh, we used to send a lot of them to Germany, which was fantastic. So I would basically keep that cat with me until he or she could go to Germany, hopefully to a home with no other animals. And then we would then bring in the next problem cat to that room. And, and why Germany? Germany, uh, they are absolute animal lovers from, from what I've seen, and they've got a lot more resources than obviously a, an island as small as this one. And we were just very lucky that they helped us a lot there with taking animals into a shelter they had and also putting them into foster homes. But they really just are a, a country of animal lovers from what I've seen, so they just wanted to help as much as they could. And kind of break down your, was there a routine? Did you have a routine or is it kind of chaotic every day? I mean, was there a certain feeding time? And uh, what was your I day day was, out of hour? <laughs> um, I tried to keep myself as, as organized as possible, but obviously with that many animals, and we had 120 cats, but I think we had 250 dogs as well. But I was in charge of the dog, and it all runs off of a volunteer basis. There was like, I think, six paid members of staff, and everybody else was a volunteer. So you had to plan your days by whoever happened to be volunteering would help me come and clean. If you didn't get a volunteer, you have to clean the whole place yourself. Mm. And sometimes I wouldn't know until I got to work if I was going to have help or not. And then it was just sort of a panic of, <laughs> okay, try to get the, the food and water done first, you know, and then try to move on to this. And I just used to go room to room, usually starting with the kittens, but they're obviously the weakest. So you don't want to be interacting with adult cats and then going and working with kittens because they have a very low immune system. So I knew I always had to start with the kittens and the weakest ones first and then move on to the, to the adult cats. And how often did that happen uh, that you were flying solo? It actually more... <laughs> 
more often than, a, than I would have liked, and that was one of the, the reasons that I didn't stay at that job. Um, was Saturdays particularly were the day that the cattery is open for a lot of visitors, and of course, if you're having to clean and you have to attend to people who are coming to adopt animals and stuff, it was just too much for one person to do. And I couldn't look after the cats the way that I wanted to, and it wasn't right for me in the end. Hmm. And so you were funded by donations. Uh, Did you have any involvement with that? No, not too much. I mean, um, a lot of it was actually dealt with by, by Germany as well because they they used to donate a big bulk of the money, but they actually had special coordinators there whose job it was to raise funds and everything, that they would hold events and markets and, and stores and things to help them raise the money that they needed to look after the animals. And was it just strictly caring? Did, did, were there any uh, shots administered or was there any neutering or spay or anything uh, medically done or was it just strictly feeding, watering, keeping them clean? We actually had um, a full-time vet at the, at the center and she or he at the time um, would work in the clinic which was at the front of the, of the center and they would work on sterilizing and neutering the animals that we actually had as well as those that had just come in and all animals that were adopted out had to be sterilized any animals that weren't well had to be operated on so there was a obviously with myself being having been a veterinary nurse I used to help out with that making sure that the animals had all their vaccinations and everything can you in the intro can you break down for us EFT, the emotion code, Reiki, and crystal healing to help animals turn to their natural state of well-being and health. What does this mean? And possibly share some examples uh, of how this works exactly. They're all very similar in, in one way that they're, they're energy therapies that they work on an animal's energy system, uh, say the, the aura or the meridian, to help bring an animal back to back to health because obviously animals are the same as us. They're not just a physical body. They also have an energy body, we call it, which is the aura. Um, any illnesses or anything that they suffer has an effect not only to the physical body but to their energy system. And it can be a lot more beneficial to work on the energy system than just the physical body that you give antibiotics or stuff like that. So EFT, the emotion code, they all work um, on that same level. That if an animal, say, is suffering from stress, you would work with EFT, which is the tapping technique, to reduce the animal's stress depending on what it is that is causing that animal stress. Mm. How do you tell if an animal is stressed? Maybe they split it up into dogs, cats. How do you tell if they're stressed? 
uh, it can be a lot harder to tell with cats when they're stressed because it's their natural instinct to hide when they're not feeling well or if they're suffering from something because obviously in the wild, um, a weakened animal is in danger of, of predators. So, of course, they, they put on a, a hard front a lot of the time to pretend that everything's okay. But the most common thing for a stressed cat is um, they don't tend to eat very often because that's usually the first thing that they will go. If they're starting to feel stressed, they don't want to eat. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very quiet, that they'll sit by themselves. They don't want to interact with people. Um, one of the, the easiest things that you can do with a cat, the, not only how friendly it is, but how relaxed it is, is it's called the slow blink. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at a cat and blink slowly, if she's happy and content, she'll blink back. Hmm. But if she's scared or feral or in a really bad state, she'll just look at you with the big wide eyes, and that's usually a sign that that a cat, you know, gonna gonna launch itself or is suffering stress. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Uh, kind of going off uh, on a tangent here. My wife and I just recently had this conversation. I'm curious what your thoughts are. A, a neighbor of ours um, decided their, to have their cat declawed, and my wife, uh, you know, personally thinks that's that's cruel because you know that's what a cat uses as for their defense. And uh, and of course, the reason they had it declawed is they were trying to protect their furniture and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not I'm not here to judge, but. It, by any means, but I'm just curious, uh, since you, you're an expert in the field, what what are your thoughts about declawing a cat? I personally am completely against declawing, and I think for the simple fact that a lot of people don't actually realize what the procedure is. Mm. Um, it's not a simple case of just removing the claw or what would be the equivalent for us of a fingernail. They actually remove down as far as the first knuckle on your finger Uh is what they remove from the cat. So they're actually removing the entire part of the bone to remove the claw. And what happens very often is the claw will try to regrow in that place. But because it has no, no form anymore, it normally grows crooked or it grows inside and it can cause, it normally causes most cats absolutely horrific pain for the rest of their life. Wow. It's, it's not nice. They normally get uh, urinary problems because being in the tray, the cat tray is uncomfortable because of course most cat trays are filled with some kind of cat litter. And of course, if your feet are sensitive because you've got this ingrowing claw standing on bits of pebbles and stuff, it's, it's going to cause them pain. So of course, then they stop using the, the cat tray. Mm-hmm. They start to urinate around the house. And of course, you get problems that you didn't even have to start with. Mm. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when you say they're in a lot of pain, uh, you know, we have an English bulldog and... Uh, <laughs> She, I, and I, I grew up with t- cats, but it's been a while since I've had one, and, and my wife loves cats. So after uh, Duchess is gone, I think the next animal we're going to have is a cat. But uh, I can, I can really sense 
Dutch's emotions. Um, I, from what I recall, having a cat, it's a little more difficult. How do you know when a cat's in pain? I mean, uh, you say they're in pain when they're declawed for the rest of their life. What what sort of things do they do that that uh, show their pain? With cats, one of the most likely things they're going to do when they're in pain is to bite. Mm. Because that's obviously, I mean, if you imagine, they, they use their claws not only to scratch, but as a form of defense. Mm-hmm. And a cat that, that is sort of angry with you or is getting a bit impatient, it might give the odd scratch to warn someone, hey, you're going a bit too far now. Mm. But of course, if you take that away from them, they really don't have an option other than to step that up a bit and use the only other defense they have, which is their teeth, mm-hmm. which can obviously cause a lot more damage than just a, a small scratch would do. But that's what I tend to see that a cat or react by by biting on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've talked to uh, focus mostly on cats. As an animal communicator, what sort of um, other species have you communicated with? Uh, dogs, birds, lizards, bees, and... <laughs> Okay, that's a, okay. That's that's a great list to start with, right there. Um, the, the one that jumped out at me. Uh, let, let's start with bees. How in the world do you communicate with a bee? <laughs> any any animal that's sort of um, usually a, a group animal or a wild animal is generally harder to communicate with than a domestic animal mm-hmm. because of, uh, domestic animals like our dogs and our cats, they're used to us most of the time, like I'm sure with yours, chatting away them, you know, telling them what we're doing, telling them how cute they are. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, wild animals aren't used to that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, people go about their business and they leave wild animals to go about theirs. Mm-hmm. Of course, a bee isn't necessarily used to even having someone talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, usually with, with a bee, you have to just keep things really short and just to the point. And they usually are very visual. They don't tend to respond so much to words. It's the case of like showing them that there's an open window and just sending them the impression you need to go outside, there's lots of nice flowers outside, <laughs> rather than that you would with a dog that you might spend a lot of time explaining. You in a, With a bee, you would just say, window, and then send like an, an image of flowers, and then the bee will find its way to the window, if you like. <laughs> hmm. And uh, the other standout animal on that list to me is the lizard. Is it similar uh, communication as with the bee because it's wild? Uh, there's a, a different technique of communicating with a lizard? A lot of that depends, again, on whether it's um, a domestic lizard, which some people do have lizards as pets, or if it's uh, here in the Canary Islands, there are a lot of lizards that are <laughs> running around all over the place, <laughs> and we get a lot of geckos as well. Mm. Um 
the wild ones aren't always as responsive as responsive as the domestic one would be. Mm. You, what kind of lizards do, do you have? Iguanas, or what kind of lizards do you have on the Canary Islands? No, as far as I know, we don't we don't have iguanas, but we've got lots of the of the little ones. I'm not sure what what exactly they're called, but they're sort of like hand sized ones, grey with the little spots on the back. They're normally in all the rocks. This is a, a volcanic island, so of course they, they've got lots of little places that they can hide in, so it's perfect. Mm. Um, what What is a Reiki master in a Kundalini Reiki master? What, what is the difference? A Reiki master is um, it's the tradition of Usui Reiki which is a Japanese style of Reiki, and that has three levels. And uh, the master level is the, the third and last level of the Usui Reiki. And the Kundalini Reiki is what you do once you've completed those first three levels of the Usui Reiki. So it's all, I mean, some people are very specific about, you know, this kind of Reiki does that and this kind of Reiki does this. But at least for me personally, I find the energy very similar. I just want to sort of have as much energy as I, as I could to work with, which is why I took both. Yeah, and, and the three levels, can you kind of describe how long or what the process is like and, and how long it, it takes generally to uh, become a Reiki master? A lot of it, uh, it really depends on on who gives your attunement or who your Reiki master actually is because everyone who learns it has to learn it from another master. It's sort of like passed down a lineage of I learned it from someone else and then if I teach it to somebody, they would then have to teach that to somebody else and it's sort of like something you pass on um, from teacher to student to teacher. Um but the, at least for me, I took my level one several times with several different teachers. Hmm. I just to, to experience it from in person. I also did it online. Um, obviously, here in the Canary Islands, it's not as easy to find in-person classes, uh, or they're very expensive. So a lot of the stuff I did was online. Hmm. Um, but it can be anything from weeks to days to years. It depends on, on how much people want to put into that. The tradition is normally years, but personally, I don't really think that there's actually any need for that because it's the universal energy. And once you're attuned, it's just a case of practicing that energy. But that is over your own personal preference. If you want to spend weeks practicing, that or months practicing that or, or years. Is there a test or how do you know when you've advanced to the next level? There isn't actually, I mean, uh, it's actually quite a simple process. I mean, once you've actually received the attunement, which is what uh, gives you the energy to be able to use Reiki, you can then just go off and you can 
you can start using Reiki and then it's just the case of sort of like with animal communication, you just have to practice having the energy flow through you, practice how that feels for you, how you know that you're connecting. And obviously that's just something that takes time to, to work with, but there isn't actually any any test specifically unless sometimes they'll ask case studies like they did in my case where they asked me to give Reiki to a certain amount of animals and then I had to write my experiences with the animals and if I saw any difference um, how the animal responded to Reiki but that isn't something that, that everybody does when they do Reiki. Hey everybody, Scott here to take another 60 seconds to talk about a sponsor. I'm very excited to have to your cron, Suburban Buzz. Suburban Buzz takes the sting out of your marketing costs. Suburban Buzz can take care of your web development, social media, digital marketing, and general advertising, all available from Suburban Buzz. Visit Suburban Buzz at SuburbanBuzz.com. Now, the owner, Holly Shervisnik, didn't ask me to read this part. I've used Holly's great service for many years. If you're a small business owner like me or just need to advertise, you need the reliable, quick service that you can count on from Holly and the Suburban Buzz team. So check them out at SuburbanBuzz.com. That is SuburbanBuzz.com. I read a quote from you uh, that said, (laughs) it's a quote, uh, animals are my passion. I dedicate my life to learning as much as I can about animal healing and communication to offer them the best service I possibly can. I believe there's always more to learn. And if I'm not taking courses to add to my skill, then I am reading books to keep my knowledge up to date. However, my greatest teachers are the animals. In every animal I meet, in every case I work on, is another chance for me to be humbled by their vast love and knowledge. What, especially referring to the, the last part of that, your, your greatest teachers are animals, and, and every animal you meet, in every case you work on, is another chance for me to be humbled by the best love and knowledge. What what are some um, standout examples of, of that, that that you can share with us? I think one of the the main ones is animals, unfortunately, who who have been abused or who have suffered severe neglect. Um, if you imagine that from from a human point of view. Um, Sometimes people can spend years and years trying to overcome traumas that they've suffered and that can affect the way they interact with people and and how they live their lives. But I've just seen again and again with animals that no matter what kind of abuse they've suffered, they're they're so quick to move forward, to forgive, to try to start life fresh Mm. without letting it hold them back. I mean, we had uh, one case in particular at the at the shelter with a, a dog who'd, she was full of tumours and her whole body was just absolutely riddled with these massive tumours and she had been pregnant and 
she'd just sort of lost the will to live because she'd been so badly abused and neglected. And she came to, to us at the shelter and she just, she just sat there, you know. She didn't interact with anybody. She didn't want to eat or drink. But, you know, with, within a few weeks of working with her, they, they did the operation and they, they removed a lot of the tumours. But just the kindness and the love that she received, it completely changed her whole perspective. She, she started to interact with people. She was coming to people for love. And, you know, she ended up going to Germany as well. But to look at her now, year, years down the line, that they send me updates on her, you would never have known that she, that she lived that kind of life. You know, you don't see it in her. She doesn't act in any way like an abused or, or neglected dog. She's just full of life. And I find that really inspiring. Yeah, no grudges, because human beings, um, obviously, many cases of, of uh, people that are unfortunately abused in some way at a young age, it affects them throughout their whole life. Exactly. And some, some of those people aren't, aren't able to forgive, which is completely understandable, you know, but yeah. animals are, are so keen to just move forward. And I think that's something that a lot of people could learn from. Yeah. <laughs> I think about our dog too that uh, uh, you know every time we come home even if we just go uh, check the mail <laughs> gone a few minutes you know walk in the door it's like she hadn't seen us for a week where have you been <laughs> <laughs> okay so so um, speaking of my dog I'm gonna um, just I guess for selfish reasons I, I've got some questions on, on um, certain ways that we approach situation so uh she is uh just a little background her name is duchess she's an eight-year-old english bulldog and uh totally spoiled she sleeps with us is on the couch uh you know my my, my wife levon's not too happy about that because i'm she calls me the dog enabler i'm the reason that she's you know on the couch and all that and uh, she's not too crazy about the shedding and the hair and all that and i'm totally guilty of, of all that <laughs> so, so that that's that's, <laughs> that's Dutch's life. But uh, recently we got a um, a long white shag carpet, and um, you know she started urinating on the carpet a lot. And we took her to the vet just to make sure there wasn't anything um, medically wrong, any infections or anything causing her to urinate. And so um, there's a theory that maybe the long shag carpet, she thinks it's grass. And so, you know, we've caught her a couple times in the act and, you know, tell her no and that kind of stuff. And when we do, she runs under the bed. I call it her cave because that's like her, where she can, you know, feel safe. Yeah, sanctuary where she can feel safe. <laughs> uh, and I say cave because I understand, you know, when dogs, before they were domesticated, that's, uh, you know, that's why they take their bone and hide it because they, they take it to their cave and that, that is their sanctuary. Exactly. They feel safe, uh, like for instance, in a kennel, they feel safe with something over them, right? So anyway, uh, my question to you is, what, are your, what is your recommendation to, to try to fix this urinating on the rug problem? The first thing usually is, um, is the smell. For a start, 
dogs and cats have an extremely strong sense of smell. And especially when it comes to urinating in the house, if they've done it in a, in a certain place, it has to be cleaned uh, excessively with the with the correct products and stuff because they can form habits very, very quickly. And even though they might understand that it isn't the right place, they go back there by habit because they can smell what for them is now the new place for them to urinate. Mm-hmm. So, of course, cleaning and removing that smell uh, is really one of the, the the important things. Apple cider vinegar is really great for removing smells, and it's completely safe for animals. Mm. Um, that's something I use a lot because we don't use any uh, bleach or any harsh products like that with, with our cats. We always make sure to use... Uh, it's actually, you can have quite a simple mixture of apple cider vinegar, baking soda, and washing up liquid. And that helps to, to get rid of the, the acidy smell of the urine. Okay. The, the next point is, obviously, she's assuming that, like you said, with the style of the, of the map, that it, it could be a good place for her to go because it looks like grass or it's, you know, a similar feeling. So it's like, okay, this is a good place. So what you need to do now is to teach her that that isn't an appropriate place but rather than just saying no, which is obviously what most people get to and then don't follow on from, is she needs to be clear where she should go instead. So rather than just, no, that's not good, you have to make sure that it's being followed up with not here, but here instead. That's the most important thing to stopping an animal doing something that you don't want them to do, is to offer them an alternative to what they're actually already doing. And then, of course, as soon as you see any kind of progress that she's moving away from that carpet, you have to give her as much praise as possible. Even if maybe she just urinates slightly off of the carpet, that's still progress because she's moving away from where you don't want her to urinate. So it's, with things like that, it can be a very slow process, but it does work eventually. Yeah, especially... Because she's uh, eight years old, and like a lot of us, when we get older, the habits become harder to break. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, and and just to kind of give you an understanding of logistically, I guess how it would work for us. We live in an apartment, so we have to, you know, it's kind of uh, um, it's kind of a deal to take her outside for her normal uh, potty breaks. And so, that makes sense. yeah, so uh, if, if we catch her urinating on the rug, then uh, are you saying to, to not have any negative reinforcement at all, to not say no, or what, what would be the first step you would take? From my experience, negative reinforcement doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, even if you manage to fix one problem with negative reinforcement, a lot of what you can do is actually create another issue or a secondary issue mm-hmm. because sometimes people can be more aggressive than they than they wanted to be in the, the way that they're saying no or it doesn't come at the right time because obviously if, if such as, as urinated and you didn't see it or you weren't actually there and then you tell her off after the fact, 
she has no idea what she's being told off for. She isn't going to instantly relate it to the fact of, oh, this is because I urinated on the, on the carpet. Even if you show it to her, it still doesn't work that way because they haven't just done it. So, of course, the, you know, telling her no and telling her off, unless you do it right at the time, it isn't going to work anyway. And, of course, then telling her off, a lot of the time, that bring on other problems like she starts to not trust you or she feels nervous around you or she starts to feel uncomfortable and then that can escalate the problem even more than positive reinforcement. You're trying to stop her from doing what you don't want to do and you're making it clear, this is what we want you to do, that's great, do this. And it's surprising me they do learn just by you telling them what you want them to do rather than concentrating only on what you don't want them to do. Do you understand? Yes, I do. So as an example, and it'll probably happen today because it's, it's happened uh, frequently recently, um, say I see her urinate on the rug. There's no negative reinforcement. I'm going to put the leash on her. Uh, we're going to go outside and she'll more than likely urinate again once she hits the grass. And then I'm going to immediately give very positive reinforcement, pet her, speak nice to her. Exactly. And then, and then bring her inside and, and then clean up the mess with apple cider vinegar, uh, baking soda, and sorry, there, uh, was there a third one? A third? And, uh, and washing up liquid. Yeah, okay. All right, got it. I'm, I'm and then the best thing to do if you see her do it is just don't say anything. Okay. You don't have to, you, you literally, you just take her, you, stay, you take her straight outside and then exactly like you said, when she does go outside, you make a huge fuss and in a case like that, sometimes it can be easier if you have um, pads and things that you put down on the floor, but obviously that would be getting into whether you really want her to urinate at all in the house on a pad as opposed to somewhere else or whether you would rather just get her to understand that, no, she doesn't go in the house whatsoever. It has to be outside. Obviously, that, that comes into effect as well. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting comment there because we also are, are third, she has a twin sister and oddly enough, um, the twin sister lives with my mother-in-law and she's going through the same thing. So we're thinking, you know, eight year old English bulldog, that's getting up there, especially for English bulldog. Their uh, life expectancy is a little bit shorter. Um, it could be an age thing. So we're thinking, you know, like I mentioned with the logistics of, uh, taking her out, it, it takes a few minutes to actually get out to the grass, putting on the leash, going through the, uh, uh, doors and all that to get outside so maybe a pad would be the way to go it's it's not ideal you know ideally we don't want her to urinate but just this may be uh, what's going on with her age too so that might be an adjustment that we need to make do you agree absolutely i mean especially as you said being being a bulldog and being an older dog um you have to think of it the, the way that you would with a, a human of that equivalent age. And it would be, you know, once people start to get older and once animals start to get older, 
uh, English Bulldogs especially can really struggle with their joints because of the, the disproportion of the body size compared to the legs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting up and moving quickly to go to, go to the toilet um, could be something that she's actually experiencing having, having trouble with. But again, I just wanted to, to also quickly say um, there might be something going on with how she explains to you that she's ready to go to the toilet. That will obviously help you a lot as well. If you have a clear understanding with her about what signs she gives you or how you know that she needs to go to the toilet or are you only taking her out at certain times and what's happening is maybe she's got older and she's struggling to hold it for the times that you usually take her out. Yeah, personally, I think it's a combination of things because... Um, when she was younger, you know, when my wife was uh, working outside of the house, she'd be inside for 10 hours a day and had no no problem at all. I mean, there were never issues unless, you know, there were a couple of times she did have some sort of bladder infection or whatever, but normally, um, she could hold it that long with no problem. And so when we got this rug, it, you know, like I said, my theory it sound like you tend to agree too, Claire, that uh, she might think of it as grass, and so she takes the liberty to, to urinate there, and 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 now um, she smells it. So she's a creature of habit and goes back there, and uh, and and with the age too. So I'm thinking now it may be a combination exactly. of things. Yeah, yeah. But uh, great tips. I I appreciate you sharing. It's always exciting to have new things to try. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> um, okay, so you um, have been in, in the field you're in for 20 years, and we, we covered the first six years or so, if I remember right, uh, were primarily with the cats and taking care of the cats. Uh, take us through, I guess, from that point on, uh, your career, how it developed. Well, the... It was actually in the in the in the last six years that I left the that I left the shelter where I was working with the cat uh, to start my own business to to look into doing the energy healing and the animal communication um, professionally. Okay, I'm, I stand corrected. In the last six years, you you left to go on. The last before then, it was when I was sort of you know working as a vet nurse. I I moved here and I had some different jobs. Um, the, I've been here for 12 years, um, but obviously when I first came here, because I didn't speak as much Spanish as I do now, I sort of worked in bars and restaurants and stuff like that. So it wasn't until like uh, six years ago that I actually managed to find a job where I could work with animals. Um, but I've always been at some point working with animals even if I'm not actually employed to, <laughs> I normally find some way to sort of find my way back to animals if I'm volunteering or, you know, they drag me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what are your plans moving forward, Claire? Uh, any, any books, lectures, things of that nature uh, to, uh, I'm actually really excited about the the possibility of writing a book. 
I've always said that I was going to write a book one day. <laughs> I uh, I studied English uh, when I was uh, when I was at school, and I've always been just I've just had this definitive idea that I'm going to write a book. I never knew on what, but now likely it's going to be animal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my students are actually asking me to write an animal communication book based on the courses that I teach. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that actually in the next uh, year or so, I'm either going to make the courses into a book or I'll do some kind of, you know, how to communicate with your animals book. Great, great. Well, all the best. And more courses. (laughs) I'm sorry, one more time? And more courses as well. Oh, more courses, yes, yes. How how do people, if if they want to find out more information on the topic now, what are your recommendations? Uh, Internet, uh, blogs, YouTube, what what do you recommend? Take my courses. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh, fair, fair enough uh, what, uh, how do they take your courses uh, no in all seriousness um, they, my courses at the moment are currently on Udemy uh, which is, is just udemy.com and they only need to search animal communication and I've got a uh, a beginners and intermediate and a course on connecting with animal spirit. But aside from that, I would recommend that people join a Facebook group. Um, there's so many groups now on Facebook where you can actually practice to communicate with animals. And if they go on Amazon, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of books on, on how to communicate with animals. And I recommend reading and just immersing themselves in, in everything that they can find. Hmm. Are there any particular titles of books that, that stand out in your mind that you could recommend? Martha Williams is an absolute favorite of mine. She's an amazing communicator. She's, uh, she's really down to earth. She explains things in a very simplified way. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a book that would be great for beginners that's called... Um, learning their language I think that's right (laughs) Uh, yeah learning their language by Martha Williams or they can simply just search Martha Williams and she has several books on animal communication I can't think of any books I've read so so many books (laughs) great Uh, but no definitely Martha Williams is a great one to start with because it's very very simplified and to the point rather than being highly spiritual which sometimes put people off. Okay. Uh, and of course, everything you just mentioned will put on yourcron.com so uh, folks can have access to it. Um, okay, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, we we love to travel, and I'm sure we have listeners that, that like to travel. Uh, what can you share with us about the Canary Islands? Uh, I do know that it's uh, close to Spain, and other than that, that's about it for me. <laughs> um, the Canary Islands are, I think, for, for tourists, are absolutely fantastic. Um, that was actually how I even came to move here. Was that I used to I used to come here on holiday, and there's something really magical about these islands because it's 
so peaceful, you know, and depending on where you go, Lanzarote is actually quite a small island in comparison to some of the other islands. But it's, it's a really great mix of the tradition that you have with the Spanish, and then there's a lot of tourists here, there's a lot of English, Irish bars, you know, so there's sort of like something for everybody, and you don't have to speak Spanish to be able to enjoy coming here. A lot of the, the residents here do really great at trying to understand people. You know, they've got menus in English so that people can understand. And they've got a lot of tourist attractions and things that you can do, like you know, going in a submarine. And it's, it's a really great place to come. Wow, a submarine. Now, that's pretty cool. What What is the water clarity like there? Oh, the water here is really lovely. Yeah. It's really nice. So, uh, there, another one that you might be interested in is uh, Fuerteventura, which is one of the seven islands. That's more sort of like if you just want to relax, sunbathe, you know, because they've got amazing beaches mm-hmm. and they've got a lot of beaches, but they don't particularly have so many attractions or stuff like that. And then you've got uh, Tenerife that's sort of more... It's more like London, you know, you might find a lot more shops, there's a lot more that you can do, there's a lot more available, but not necessarily as many beaches and stuff like that. It, that that's the great thing about the islands. I mean, you can actually island hop <laughs> as well, that you've got like a ferry that can take you from one island to the other, or you can actually get a plane that's called a bitter, and you can travel in like 40 minutes. Uh, from one to the, to the other and you can sort of do the whole lot <laughs> so uh, method of transportation to, to get to the island is there uh, an international airport or what, what's the best way to, to get to the Canary Islands initially the easiest way is definitely by, by aeroplane mm-hmm. um, they have they have a lot of flights um uh, from the UK here. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure about uh, about America, though. I would assume that you would have to probably stop over somewhere first and then go from there to the Canary Islands, probably mm-hmm. because of the distance. I don't think that there's actually any flight that would come directly from, from America. Are there any uh, cruise ship stops there? There may well be actually. I mean, I've never, I've never really looked at the the ship side of it, but that is a, another common way that, that people like to travel is to come here mm. by boat, and they do have that you can actually bring your animals with you as well, which could be great. Mm. And so, all these different islands. It sounds like uh, if you want the laid back, um, don't want to be around a lot of people. There's that. Uh, if you want. Nightlife, is there uh, one of the islands that has good nightlife? Yeah, uh, Lanzarote is actually um, in Puerto del Carmen. That's where you've got most of the tourists. That's sort of like a a really big tourist area. Mm -hmm. And they have what they call the strip, which is like the... It's sort of like where all the shops are running along the front of the beach. And they actually have... um, they have an area, I think it's called Centro Atlantico, 
And that's where they've actually got nightclubs and, and bars and things like that. And I think those places, they open until, you know, like the early hours of the morning. So you could be there until the morning and then go straight on to have breakfast somewhere and go all over again. Oh, my wife would love that. She's a night owl. <laughs> <laughs> she can easily go all night. I'm, I, you know, I'm not so much. I need some coffee to, to help me along, but... Uh, well, that sounds... Well, they got good coffee here, so... <laughs> oh, good, good. Good to know. Well, that, that definitely sounds like a uh, destination for us to keep in mind. Well, Claire, this has been fascinating. I really, really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing everything you have with us. And uh, uh, I, as you've heard from, uh, I think you've listened to other podcasts um, yes, I love your <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but you you know I like to end with this question. So um, yes. <laughs> if, if in a hundred years your extended family, for example, is listening to to your Quran, um, what what do you want them to take away from this recording about you or uh, perhaps about your contributions? say the don't let fear hold you back from from the things that you're passionate about from the things that you know that you really want to do because that's something that's always been a big issue for me um even with this uh, <laughs> coming and speaking to you today which was a, a fantastic opportunity and I'm so grateful for that but I spent the whole week <laughs> panicking and very nervous but I was so determined to do it after listening to other people coming and talking with you and how easy for everyone I just thought just do it you know maybe you won't say the right thing or maybe you'll um and ah but you know you can't just keep being afraid all the time to do things because we're all human we all make mistakes none of us are perfect and you miss out on so many opportunities by being afraid of looking silly or making a mistake and just if you want to do something do it and if you fail at it try again and try again and try again and don't let other people affect what you do in your life very well said and i totally agree with everything you said and uh by the way if if you were nervous you sure fooled me you did great <laughs> you were wonderful <laughs> Weezy toy that helps me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, by the way, you're also my first Skype guest. So, uh, the, oh, lovely. Yeah, so uh, I, I got it. Uh, I got the app downloaded on my phone now, and uh, um, I like it. So, thank you for the idea. It's, I'm I'm surprised that the connection has been so clear. Actually, with Skype, it's been it's been perfect. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Claire, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your, I think it's almost evening there. So uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and the rest of your weekend. And uh, again, thank you for being on your prom. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And please give Duchess a huge kiss from me. <laughs> I'll be happy to do that right after we're done here. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. It's been lovely.